Welcome to Tech Talks, the technology podcast with David Savage and Jack Pierce, publishing on Mondays and Thursdays. This is the show packed full of interviews and debate with technology leaders for the love of tech. show we are talking to Edward Elliott who is in charge of the GovStart program at Public but before that good morning Jack. Good morning David hello. This, this is a rare thing. Yeah I know this must be this might be one of our riskier recordings because it's first week on Monday and I'm yet to have a coffee. Oh no yeah. I, to be fair I have got an empty bowl of porridge and a coffee next to me. Yeah so. I know I'm very jealous. Do, do you want to pause and go get no, one? No 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 let's, let's, let's just see how well I do on a Monday morning without caffeine. I mean, it, it's quite exciting to be recording on publishing day. It is, yeah, for the second show in a row. Yes, yeah, that's yeah, true, yeah, that's yeah. true. Although actually in person this time. Yes. Uh, so, you know how we love a bit of a recommendation to watch for readers? Yes. Readers, listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listeners. Yeah. Um, Friday night, yeah. I watched Free Solo. I saw you were watching this. Uh, I haven't watched it myself. Uh, I thought it was some kind of uh, hand solo kind of thing. <laughs> I thought you might. No. To my disappointment, it's about a natter, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's an adequate description. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he has a, a, an MRI, I think, of maybe a CT. No, an MRI at one point that pretty much confirms he's a natter. Oh, he is just a he's just Fruit Loop. <laughs> so hang on, let me explain. So up until last year, mm. no one had ever uh, solo climbed El Capitan. And solo climb means no ropes. No ropes. Oh, no ropes. Jesus wept. Just your hands and feet. And <laughs> El Capitan is in Yosemite. I'm going to Yosemite in September. There you go. Get yeah. that pronunciation right. Sierra Nevada and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's it's like the the biggest rock face in the world, effectively. Right. It's it's about three and three and a half, three thousand eight hundred feet. God, of pure granite. Yeah, 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 yeah. With very little places to hold on, and and it's like. Rock climbing mecca. Anyway, no one had ever climbed it without ropes. This guy climbed it without ropes. Jeez. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Well, <laughs> it's a bit of an obvious one. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he doesn't die. And they wouldn't make a documentary about it if he got halfway Well, this up. is it. This yeah. is fascinating, right? Because the filmmakers um, have been with him for years. And right. they're like, we really had to soul search here because we're filming. And we know that he could slip through the frame to his death. Oh, God, yeah. At any second. So how are they filming him up there? They've got drones and stuff like that. Uh, they have a drone, but mostly they're a crew of eight climbers themselves all on ropes shimmying down to various different levels. Right, so they're, they're, the crew are roped up, they're safe. And even though you know he doesn't die... Yeah. It's still tense, surely. Yeah. Oh, it's incredible. Like, literally, I was sweating watching it. It's just... It's amazing... And horrifying. Right. All right. at the same time. But coming back to the, yeah, he's a nutter. Yeah. Uh, they do a scan of his brain to see how he processes fear. And there okay. are t- apparently there are two lobes in your brain which kind of react to fear. And his are just completely subdued. Wow. So <laughs> even if takes, he got mugged or something like that, it'd still be cool, calm and collected? Or? It, it, just, it just takes a hell of a lot more wow. to make him scared than most people. Jeez. But, you know, he falls off. Like... A couple of times when he's rope when he's roped up because he obviously practices yeah. over and over and over with ropes because every single little minute move is planned. Right, like, so he paths his way up. Oh there. yeah, right, yeah. Okay, yeah, like, yeah, and it's it's to the point of like thumb clockwise turn, no. second finger, foot to this. Like it's and he memorizes all of. Oh yeah, it's plot. insane. It's insane the amount. I mean, it's not insane the amount of planning and prep because he. <laughs> Your life's <laughs> on the line. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You gotta watch it. 
I might have to. I might have to. It, it won the Oscar for best documentary. Yeah, I saw year. that. It's yeah, inc- yeah. It is incredible. It's Netflix, right? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. Amazon. Um, there's a there's a documentary called Dawn Wall on Netflix, which is again about El Capitan and features some of the same people. Right. Uh, but no, this I yeah, I had to buy it on Google. Do you want to know what I watched this weekend? Go on. All of season three of Queer Eye, and I've spoken about it before, and I'll say it again. If you haven't watched this TV programme, you must watch it. It is the most moving, compelling, heartwarming TV programme I've ever seen. Yeah. Me and Rosie watched it over two sittings at the weekend, and I cried. Like, not just, like, blubbery-eyed and all that. I actually wept three times. More, more than RuPaul or more than dogs? RuPaul doesn't elicit the same emotions from me, because I just think, wow, these guys are so strong and so confident. I love like, that's br- You know, it's brilliant. Um, dogs, again always going to make me cry but these stories in Queer Eye one bloke right is raising uh, raising his kid and his wife died oh. of cancer and it's just him and the kid oh my god it's so good it's so good anyway look um, we should probably get on to talking about tech oh yeah we're here to this yeah. isn't a pop culture podcast is it no no, no. Well, no cold open I mean Why you could a cold open Cold open means it has nothing to do with the narrative. Well, there you go, perfect. Well, I'd like to say it's cold open, but with a brilliant tenuous link this week because mm. um, free solo is all about someone trying to overcome a huge hurdle, and <laughs> tech startups have to overcome a huge hos- uh, hurdle when working with government. In mindset, definitely. In mindset, and they have to climb a long way to get to the top, and at the top is trusted, hallowed ground, right? Maybe it takes more for the founders' kind of fear receptors to be fired. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Um, yeah, so Edward Elliott is our uh, guest today. He's from Public. He's leading the GovStart uh, programme, applications of which, uh, for which, sorry, are open right now. So we'll have some thoughts and some articles afterwards. So today we're chatting to Ed... Ed, you work here at Public. You are. Would it be right to say that you are, that you are overseeing or running GovStart? Yeah, so I'm, I'm manager for um, our GovStart's growth program, which is a six-month accelerator program to help tech startups work with the public sector. And how many iterations has GovStart been through now? Uh, so we've had two programs, um, both in the UK, and excitingly this year, so we're, we're just about to open our third program, which will be February 27th. Um, becoming sort of scarily close at this point in time um, but uh, but yeah and then we're excitingly this year we're also opening up not only in the UK but in Paris and in Berlin as well yes um, so you know the startup that we are scaling um, so lots of new opportunities to work with new companies in, in new areas now that must be interesting because whilst obviously um, countries have shared issues around mm. social welfare you know the state healthcare each individual country has a very different model of politics and government. Mm. So, whilst there's a lot of synergy, I guess you're seeing also a lot of differences and different challenges in the way to engage with government. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's been one of the, the kind of first pieces of the puzzle we tried to work out when looking at Germany and France, as well as other places within Europe, was, you know, I wouldn't say we totally cracked how to work within the UK public sector market and the GovTech market. Um, but, you know, we've taken two years to kind of refine that process. Mm. And that first part of working out, well, how exactly does what we've done here in the UK translate to, um, you know, a German public sector market, which is much more kind of city and state-led than central government, um, has been a challenge. And we're really lucky to have really been kind of guided through that process by you know, two managing directors we've taken on, one in, one in France, one in Germany, so Lars Zimmermann. 
um, he's setting up for a German office, yeah, yeah. career with kind of Axel Springer and other um, you know large corporates. Um, looking at you know digital transformation of public services. So he's really been our guide, and you know if it was just left to me, I'm sure that I would. <laughs> it would be a very different looking program, but. Um, uh, yeah, we're very lucky to have um, those individuals sort of guiding us through the process and um, we've now got to the point where I think we're building models that obviously has the kind of core of what we think all startups need to work with government because there yeah. are some processes that are replicable. But, um, I, I suppose that's an interesting point, right? Yeah. Mm. Obviously there are these differences, but what, what are the synergies? What are the same things that you see that a startup, regardless of location, mm. needs to think about when they're, when they're dealing with government? Yeah, I mean, I think there are certain things that startups taking away the government side need to be able to do and do well, um, which is that, you know, they need to have a very strong product. Yep. Um, they need to be able to communicate that product in an efficient um, and effective way, both to customers, but also to investors. Um, and then coming around to the government side, being able to simultaneously, you know, have that extra layer to your communication that speaks to a government market, normally a government market that is very, um, you know, lacks time to really think through um, how to solve problems, um, often a government market that is slightly newer to certain types of technology than the private sector. Um, so a lot of what we do with startups that join the program, particularly early in the program, is just talking through how to adjust the way you've maybe approached a private sector market and adjust that to a public sector market. Um, not only you know how you should communicate your message, but who you should be talking to within that environment. And that how you communicate the message is interesting, right? Because you talk there about efficient and effective. And when you think of startups, you tend to think of them kind of creating value, generating something new. But here, when you're talking about existing services, people just want healthcare to work, right? If you're if you're ill, you want to have the confidence and, and the trust that you are going to be looked after. Yeah. And I suppose someone plugging into that system has to adopt a different mindset slightly from what they may have done if they're working in a different market. Yeah, I think absolutely. And I think it's, it, you've got to think from the point of view of, to take health, for example, you know, the patient who might be on the end of it, but also from the point of view of the service provider who, you know, if it's the case of the NHS and sort of similar markets across Europe or similar health services across Europe, are often individuals who are, you know, under a huge amount of administrative stress, um, you know, do not have a huge amount of time to be thinking outside of the box mm. about new technology or about how to kind of innovate. Um, what they're really looking for is how to solve a particular problem. And that if you're a startup trying to enter that market, you've got to really be able to prove fast and efficiently and succinctly how you solve that problem to that buyer. Um, and that's a challenge. And that's true of other markets. You know, if you go into financial services, I'm sure that's true as well. But I think for government in particular, um, having that core, what is the problem that I'm solving answer um, is, is really important and has to really be kind of the first slide of your deck or the first sentence that comes out of your mouth if you're, if you're pitching. Um, it's very hard to get through the door of any public sector department if you don't have that real core kind of problem-solving drive at the heart of what you're doing. What other challenges are there that, that a startup in this sector faces that possibly you might not envisage normally? Because I suppose it's all about being fast to market and that might not necessarily be the same here. Yeah, I mean, I think the traditional problem, which is, is luckily now changing quite quickly, um, is that government is you know, a huge organisation and because of that has to move slowly at times. Um, you know, procurement in the public sector 
can take three, six, 12 months, depending on the size of the contract. So for many startups, that is too long um, to really even consider, particularly when you might be able to find a public sector customer who could deliver faster. Um, and I think, again, it's about being able to um, understand the values of that value of that market as well, in terms of that, yes, the sales cycles may be longer, but the sort of higher barriers for entry is also a sort of security blanket once you're in those markets. Um, they are a very um, reliable customer in many ways. Um, so there is that element of being able to kind of structure your company to um, be able to cater to a slightly different kind of sales cycle, um, similarly to help your investors who are likely may you know may not be as experienced in the public sector market as well to explain to them that you know there your company will take a slightly different progression to one that is a traditional b2b or b2c um uh startup um so that there are certain skills or certain you know mindset changes that have to go along with working with the public sector that um we're starting to find that that changes is smaller and smaller as people become more accustomed to working with government but still takes a little bit of time again in the program just to kind of get people to adjust the way in which they approach the market. Now, you'll have to forgive me, your degree mm. is, it's not philosophy, is it? It's history. History. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's a non-tech degree, yeah. right, uh, from Oxford, and then you worked in media. I did, uh, as a film journalist. Yes. yes. <laughs> so this wildly different kind of background to what yeah. you're working in now. So I suppose one thing that would be really interesting is just to ask you what what surprises you when you're kind of talking to the startups yeah. that you're talking to and the countries that you're talking to and the, and, the, and the stars of government there's a lot of stuff here that I'd imagine people would expect mm. what what surprises you and makes you go oh hang on a minute that's totally different to what I imagined I'd find um, yeah I mean I think there are kind of things on both sides in terms of there are interesting parts of the, the sort of startup community just in terms of the, the possibility of new technology. If, you, if you're slightly outside of that bubble and you don't realize the potential of particularly AI, but also kind of IoT to really transform people's lives. I mean, to take the example of some of the companies that you know, we work with now, um, an amazing company called Headlight, um, which effectively can use um, multiple sensors to see in very... Um, you know, hard environments to see in underground, foggy conditions, heavy rain, that kind of stuff. Um, it's one of those things that when you're on the outside, you just imagine stuff like autonomous vehicles will immediately appear in our streets and we'll be able to yeah, yeah. go through all conditions. But actually what you don't realise is the kind of technology that underpins that is incredibly sophisticated and takes a lot of very, very clever people to develop. And seeing that from the outside of all of these pieces being put together to create a real transformative change in society is... Um, seeing the inner workings of that is, is fascinating um, and it's something that I think you know the public sector is also kind of you know, waking up to at this point in time um, a little bit on the reverse it's hard not to sometimes be surprised by you know the pace of change in the public sector and the way in which there are still certain aspects of the public sector for which digital transformation is lagging behind even where you as a consumer with our smartphones and um, whatever devices we might have at home. A lot of these changes haven't caught up to the public sector and you do see it as a citizen in terms of when you go to book an appointment or you go to order medication or whatever happens to be your sort of traditional interactions with the state. You know, it's sometimes hard to, from that outside point of view, understand actually what the inner workings of that system is and actually the strain 
that a lot of the individuals working within that system are put under by the fact they don't have the kind of technological backing and infrastructure that normal kind of large companies would do and how much time and energy is having to be put in just to cover um, you know, the lack of good software um, that are managing these processes. And that's not true of all of the public sector, but I think that you know, technology could do a huge amount to um, improve the lives of people who are delivering services in very, very basic ways and just save, saving them time um, and giving them headspace to think about different things. So that surprises me every day from the people that I meet in the public sector of how a number of their challenges, a lot of their challenges could just be solved by technology. Now, what, one of the strengths are of, our, of our geography is that uh, we are right next to a community of different countries with different yeah. backgrounds, different ideas, uh, different history, but yet very close in proximity. Mm. We often talk about Francesca Breer in Barcelona, but mm. you mentioned there that obviously you're working with Germany, you're working with France, you've yeah. got an event coming up in Denmark. Yeah. What can the UK, and also those other countries, learn from, from each other? What can we all learn that we can take back and, and try and implement to improve the way that, that I suppose, tech does deliver services uh, and work alongside government? I think what's really interesting about Europe is that it's a, a grouping of a number of countries, all of whom have a lot of overlapping priorities, all of them have healthcare systems, all of them have a need in terms of defence, social care, um, but there are also often particular needs and necessities of countries that are different and will lead to the fostering of different kinds of innovation that can then go on and um, fuse into different markets in Europe. So take, for example, if you look at, um, say, Greece, um, and you look at the kind of proliferation of, sort of smart city technology that is coming out in Greece, particularly when it comes to citizen interaction. Mm. You know, there are four or five great companies coming out of there that are all trying to work with helping citizens engage with the states, largely because for a long time in Greece, that has been a real kind of problem. Right. Um, one of which, Novaville, we're working with very closely. Um, it's really interesting to see how particular solutions are coming out of particular markets and then being picked up elsewhere in Europe to solve problems where it may be not be quite as pressing, but it will be a need slightly further down the line. Um, I think there's a real opportunity for Europe to work as a group in that way of kind of a GovTech ecosystem to kind of almost rival, you know, approaches to government technology in US or in China or whatever large hubs there happen to be as a kind of a new way for startups to kind of be moulded and fostered out of this ecosystem but then also to spread and to scale to a level where they can actually be strong functioning businesses provide to multiple governments across Europe. Now last thing, um, are you still looking for businesses for, the, uh, for this particular cohort? Yeah we are, so applications are opening on February 27th. Cool. Um, so that is, uh, as I say, coming up very soon. And they'll be open until the end of April. So until that time, uh, we will be meeting with lots of companies and we'd love to obviously meet any companies um, that are looking to work in the public sector. How would they get in touch? Sure. Um, so if you visit our website, which is www.public.io, um, there is a contact form on the website. That will be sent straight to my inbox and I will um, obviously read it and get in touch with you. It'd be great to set up a 50-minute call and then we'll, we'll go from there. Cool. Well, look, it's lovely for you to spend a bit of time on this rather unseasonable, unseasonably <laughs> warm kind of February morning. But yeah. um, thanks for your time and fingers crossed lots of companies do get in touch. Thanks, David. Thank you for having me. When he mentioned Paris 
and Berlin. Yeah. You know the song. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. Got stuck in my head. Yeah. Anyway, uh, probably not the most insightful thing to start. On. I could feel you humming it throughout the interview. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I found this really interesting. I know. I know it's stuff that we've spoken about before. Right. Well, yeah, but yeah, yeah, and yeah. And we've had public on the show a couple of times. Yeah, Johnny Hugo, living legend. Um, but if we start towards the end of the interview, actually, okay, I hadn't realised that Greece had become a hotbed for smart city interaction and, and building and companies basically building uh, platforms to help citizens engage with the state. And I thought that was really interesting. When he began to talk about Greece, I thought he was going to give us an example of where it wasn't working or where it, they'd tried and failed and they'd wasted a load of money because it's rare that you hear Greece in such a positive light in, in, yeah, in, in, in today's climate. Yeah, exactly. It's always been doom and gloom. And to hear that they're a smart city, uh, you know, with four or five amazing companies connecting citizens to state, which must have been like so far apart at one point in, yeah. in Grecian culture, right? Whereas, you know, tech is now bridging that gap a bit. Which There's something amazing. lovely as well about it, isn't it? It's, you know, it's the, it's the cradle of democracy. It's where the best pieces of literature started, you know? Like, yeah. Greece is the epicentre of where culture was born, sort of thing. But, you know, that, that is a country that where... We think about Britain and we think about the, the problems that we're facing uh, through Brexit. Without getting into it too much, of course, a lot of it has to do with disillusionment. Yes. And in Greece, you can imagine there has been overwhelming disillusionment, yeah. as has been seen by election results and whatever else, um, during the financial crash. Yeah. So using tech to, I suppose, make it feel like people have a voice, that's what the, that's what people feel, feel that they lack, right? Yeah. Yeah. It makes yeah. perfect sense. How, how good is that? Like you say, yeah, giving people a voice, getting them back in touch with the government. Because in Greece, and especially within the major cities, it was like... Almost like Victorian times, either the super rich or the super poor, and there was no one in between. And people didn't feel as disillusioned as they had ever before, like in Greece. So I just think it's yeah, I'm, I was pleasantly shocked to hear that. No, I thought I thought that was a a real boom. Um, I also love that it was kind of like a, um, I suppose a laser focus of what we've been talking about a lot on the podcast recently around having a problem to solve. Yep. Um, because you're not adding value because you're talking to someone you know a service provider where there's often huge administrative stress they're not thinking about innovation they have issues mm. in their inbox they need them fixed mm -hmm, mm -hmm, it is mm -hmm. far more about that problem solving aspect and what what is that core core problem that you're driving at i mean there's certainly enough problems within public sector uh, yeah for a startup to be problem solving and helping them at the same time and um, it just goes on to talk about like he, he mentions how um like the nhs and stuff use antiquated systems you know like fax machines things like that like for us to get in a place where tech is really enabling the public sector we need these startups to to be more malleable with them but it's a it's a double-edged sword right well as we know but and i mean we heard this at our, our first tech talks event over a year ago now and we're still hearing about it now government moves so slowly and procurement in public sector can take up to 12 months yeah which if you're a startup you don't have 12 months to play around with so but on the flip side, if you then do make it through that process, mm. government is a very reliable customer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I, I liked that there's that aspect that it's, it's about changing the mindset of the investors as well that are working with yeah, you yeah. so that they understand that that sales cycle is different. But I, I think that it drives elements of the, of the best practice that we tend to talk about around startups. Yeah, it really does. It really does. And just to touch back on the 
you know, government, once you've got them as a customer, they'll always be a customer. For, for, for better or for worse, that's why they're in such a hoozy now, because they've only typically ever had 15 to 20, or a lot, 15 to 20 suppliers of IT. Mm. And once the contract runs out, all the systems are legacy systems. So they need them to come and undo that and update it. And you just get caught in a... Yeah. Well, yeah so but, but it's a rejection of the whole move fast and break things. Yeah. That yeah. wouldn't work. You can't do that in the public sector. If you break something there, it's broken for life. I can't, I can't imagine that, you know, responsibility isn't thought about when you're mm. going through, hang on a minute, why are we doing this? And you're not going to do this because you think you can make a quick book. No. So I think it's going to attract the kind of founders that we'd like to see within tech. Definitely. Maybe that's a little bit kind of, you know, uh, utilitarian of me. Utopian, sorry. Yeah, not utilitarian. Yes, entirely the wrong word. Utopian. Could, it could be a bit utopian. <laughs> it's definitely optimistic, but why shouldn't it be, you know? Why, why not? Yeah. Yeah. Anything else that you... No, I think that was, you know, I think it really is, it is those two things. If you're problem solving, the public sector will need you. You know, problems exist all the time. They are a trusted customer. They are a massive customer. And contrary to what I say a lot and what we hear a lot, there is a lot of money in public sector as well. And that could put startups, founders and investors off that. But yeah. I just think we need to reimagine what the public sector is. And it's really hard to do that with our government. But it's really easy to do that when you partner with someone like public. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so look, applications are open. They, mm. they are open until the end of April. So there is still time... Go and talk to Ed uh, and the guys at Public mm. if you've got a, an idea where you think there is a problem that you can fix within public sector. And look, they're from Paris to Berlin. Every disco they're being, they'll be in. I don't know. From Paris to Berlin in every disco in the heart is pumping for love. That's it. Uh, Gov is pumping for tech. Thanks, Jack. Sorry, guys. Farewell, but not goodbye. Do you know what that is? Bobby Robson's autobiography. All the better, read by Bobby Robson. No way. Yeah. What a legend of the game he was. Exactly. It's a great book to read, but listening to Bobby Robson, talking you through his life, that's special. Exactly. My choice is uh, The Sisters Brothers, which is a film starring Jake Gyllenhaal and John C. Riley that has been released worldwide apart from in the UK. So I'm going to listen to the audiobook. If anyone's wondering why we've suddenly started talking about books, it's because if you head over to audible.co.uk forward slash tech talks, you can get a free month's trial there, courtesy of your favourite technology podcast. Get listening. I've got a feel-good piece. Go on. It's not news. Uh, it's it, not news. It's not. Well, it's news. This is promising. It's, it's news, but I just wanted to, I just wanted to talk about because last week was World Pie Day, right? Mm. 3.14 was it yeah last week was okay fine it might be recently it was recently yeah and um, a Google employee broke the world record for calculating pi Uh, now oh no he's got to take it entirely the wrong way oh I thought this was going to be about short cross pastry oh no 3.14 pi and anyway so uh, excuse me if I pronounce maybe um, that's why I thought it wasn't last week maybe because I was just thinking you were thinking when was pi when was I eating pie last (laughs) Jesus David uh, anyway, so sorry for any mispronunciations of her name, but Emma Haruka Iwao uh, has made history. She's a Google engineer and she calculated pi to guess how many digits, Dave? 17. What? I don't know. 31 trillion. What? Is, uh, yeah, 31 <laughs> trillion digits. 17. I was like, okay, uh, 
wee bit off. Um, <laughs> that proves that I have no idea about maths. I think, like, there's, there's, there was a kid at my school that could do it to 20 places. Oh, was that? Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. Um, I can barely remember what pi is. 3.14. Okay, right, okay. Pi is the something of a circle, right? It's something... I, I don't know. It's, 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 it's a good reason behind... Pi Paseen Patel or whatever his name Paseen Patel in in uh, Life of Pi. Right, that's that's all I can really remember about Pi. Okay, very good book. Anyway, anyway, so Google employee Emma Haruka Iwao has used Google's Google's cloud computing service to break the world record for calculating Pi, an infinite number vital to engineering. So Iwao, a cloud develop a cloud developer advocate who's been working at Google for over three years, successfully calculated Pi to thirty one trillion digits. <laughs> Beating the previous record by nine trillion. Right, this is this is cool. It is cool. And it, you know, I mean, I suppose you could say, what's the point in eating X many hot dogs in a minute just to have a record? Records are there to be broken. Exactly. Yeah. I was going to say, like, what's the point having thirty yeah. trillion? But I suppose she's got a record, right? But it's one of those records as well that is just one of the ones that people are not always, but people will always look to see what it is, like world's tallest man. Uh, Will they? Yeah. Pi is one of those, maybe just because you and I don't, Dave. Right, but okay. Pi, as it says here, which is vital to engineering, within that community, I imagine that's a big thing. And I also think it's great because it's giving Google Look, a good name. Let's go back to our cold open. Why did someone free solo the face of El Capitan? Because right. it's there to be done and no one has done it previously. So, and guess so, what? There we go. Iwao told the BBC, she's not done with Pi. There's no end <laughs> with Pi. I would love to try it with more digits, she said. I'd be really happy if I could get it to 17. Get, yeah, a, a challenge. My Thursday show. If you can recite. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm assuming that that's... She's calculated. She's not reciting, obviously. That would take years. I wouldn't have thought she stood, yeah. stood up there as free. I would like well, someone to tell me how long it would take to recite 13 trillion numbers. Probably 13 trillion seconds, Dave. So, here's, here's an interesting thing. Um, yeah, but how long is that? So, uh, you put your laptop open, type yeah. that <laughs> Last week at Big Data World, they were talking about a petabyte. What? Which is what? Exactly. And you're like, how much information is a petabyte? What I liked is that they broke it down. They said a petabyte yeah. is the data that you would consume watching DVDs continuously, continuously, sorry, without a break for 13 years. That's how big that That's could be. how much data there is on the petabyte. Bear in mind... 13 uh, years worth of continuous DVD data is a petabyte. Because a film is typically 700 meg to 1.2 I, I think gig. it's 1,000 terabytes, but I think that's what it actually works Shh. out as. Wow. Wow, that's nearly enough for all the selfies I've got on my phone. Yeah. <laughs> well, apparently we're in the petabyte age, and from 2020 onwards, they think we're going to enter the exabyte stage now age how many clouds how many petabytes are in a cloud well look we're talking well, about data lakes aren't we yeah there anyway, we go let, let's, let's move on let's move on because <laughs> um, we're talking about stuff we don't understand exactly well as well, per yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay my news article is related to GovTech <laughs> okay cool but it's US based okay and I'll be honest it's a bit negative fine hey, um, we're not negative nearly enough on this show we love GovTech yes we do but I also think there's there's a very clear example of GovTech gone wrong in China. Yes. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about Go365. Thought you would. Yeah, yeah. which um, came to my attention because I watched Fahrenheit uh, 11.9. Right, yeah. 
where it talks about Go365 and the attempts to bring it into schools in the States. Oh, no. And I, I, I pick on this because I think there's a... Go365 being what? Hang on, let me, let me scale back a little bit. When we talk about China mm. and we talk about the social scoring system, we go, oh, isn't it bad? They're over there. Look at these bad things they're doing. Yep. And I think that sometimes we can be a little bit uh, lazy, for want of a better phrase. Uh, almost term, certainly, yes. In terms of actually looking at what we could quietly be going about building ourselves. Yeah. Uh, and Go365 effectively was a business solution. It's personal and business, but there's a business solution to it where you stick a Fitbit on employees and they unlock rewards for health and exercise. I don't like it. Well, yeah, it's, it's bad because it, it's basically using data from an insurance point of view to hike up premiums if you're not very healthy. Why can't they use this as tech for good and be like, right, we're realising when someone's getting really stressed out, let's give them a mindfulness class now or let's give them... Totally. A, right? Not denying them access to services that they should have by right. That's um, and I, I basically think it's opportunistic of, of the insurance industry, basically. Yeah, yeah. And you're going to get away with it. And governments. And governments. Yeah. I, because they, they yeah. don't have to spend as much yeah. in public services, right? No, not at all, yeah. And the irony yeah, is, you watch, yeah. you watch the film, and it's this odious, jabber the hot style sized senator or congressman. Exactly. Yeah. Who's passing this flipping law? It's this like, is. you probably can't fit a Fitbit around your, your wrist, mate. Isn't Donald Trump 12 stone or something like that, according to his uh, latest medical? <laughs> and I don't know, I, I love what public are doing. I love fitness trackers and health. I love mm-hmm. wild AI. But I think that people have got to be a little bit more savvy in terms of, let's just, well, that responsible tech angle, right? Yep. Build tech that's responsible and that has society's good as a, as a whole, not profit, saving money, whatever else. And I just, look, if anyone ever hears this and they go, oh, actually, Go365 aren't all that bad and you've horribly miscalculated this and Michael Moore's giving a totally partisan view, well, get in touch and talk to us. But I think it was a cautionary tale and it was worth highlighting and just saying, guys, build tech with a bit of, with a bit of heart. There must have been a conversation there. Because I'm not that smart, and I realised how you could use that product in a positive way within ten seconds of you saying a negative way. So there would have been a boardroom. Let's 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 paint the picture. Boardroom full of eight to twelve fat white men thinking how they can make their money the best way, right? Or save their money. Not yeah, or save their money. Not one person's gone. Oh, what about if? Instead of rewarding people on good health or good work... Or restricting if they don't do what we want them to do. Or, yeah, doing that. Let's say, like I said, if someone's getting stressed out, you can have the bit that buzzes and be like, all right, we'll take stuff away from your desk, have a cup of tea or whatever. You know, yeah. there's unlimited positive potentials to draw out of this. And How, how terribly British are you, by the way? Have yeah, a cup of tea. have a cup of tea. I mean, I don't even drink tea, so I don't know why I said that. But, yeah, I mean, this is they're always going to get away with this in America because the health system is fucked out there, so... Yeah. Thinking of hot beverages, you need your coffee. Do you know what? I do need it, but hey, I haven't stumbled over my syllables that much yet. No, probably, I've probably done worse. Nah, um, we're fine. Uh, on that note, listeners, we will leave you be until Thursday, but thank you for listening, and thanks, Ed, for being our guest. Thank you.